0: Welcome to Stock in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm Ritan, and I'm joined, as always, by Carl. Hey, Carl. Good evening.
1: Hey, how's it going? Where are you at now?
0: (laughs) I mean, uh, I I guess this is right. The Big Easy, NOLA.
1: Yeah. I love New Orleans. A great culture city, great food, great booze, great movie theaters, great... Bookstores and not very COVID friendly, but I'm sure it's a very beautiful place to, to visit still right now. <laughs> it's
0: such a beautiful place. I have to like, I know the US has a lot of like history and culture, but this is one of the only like cities that I feel like has literal soul in itself. Mm-hmm. Like, you drive through the areas and you're like, okay, like something happened here. And I have to say, the worst thing about COVID is that there is this beautiful street I'm sure you know called St. Charles that is lined by beautiful houses, beautiful trees, and it has this awesome, super old, like, trolley car that you can take public transportation that goes all the way from, like, the Audubon Park and the Tulane area to the French Quarter. And I love all of these things. I love public transportation, and I love these types of things more. And I can't take it. Well, I guess I can, but I'm not gonna.
1: Yeah, New Orleans is a fascinating city because it's it's like California and that it has like a different colonial vibe than the Northeast, but it's also parts of it are old, like what you're used to from Boston or, or other places. And what I find super fascinating is the whole history of like the battle of new Orleans and the war of 1812. And the fact that it was this huge, massive naval battle that happened the last time we were invaded by another country. And it's just a really interesting place. And Andrew Jackson, terrible human being, but really interesting military leader in that he, like, colluded with pirates in one of the local restaurants to, like, actually attack the Brits. Pretty cool battle.
0: Yeah, I have to say, you know, I didn't grow up here. I'm not that well-versed in U.S. history, but I remember being in, in Jackson Square yesterday and telling Ria, like, I don't think we like Andrew Jackson. I don't know why, but I remember reading something about him being one of the bad ones. Well, is there a movie I could watch about Andrew the, Jackson and uh, colluding with pirates or something like that?
1: Not that I know of. That's a, that's a good idea is to, to make that movie. But then again, you risk glorifying Andrew Jackson, which the I'm currently in Oklahoma, which the entire history of Oklahoma is deeply tied up with Andrew Jackson's like genocidal acts against Native Americans and pushing him out here. So it's 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 a complicated thing, but definitely read up on it. <laughs> Okay, I will. Fine. (laughs) I'm sorry, Lin-Manuel Miranda did not make the uh, Andrew Jackson musical yet. I know. We would love him.
0: They would keep him. in. Yeah, I know. (laughs) However, however interesting this is, this is not a U.S. history podcast. That's not what you're here for, dear listener. So, Carol and I realized uh, after our last episode that we have done a couple in a row where Apart from the news section, we didn't really talk in detail about some things, so we decided this week to to do kind of an an extended news section and not only talk at a high level about them, but try to dig a little bit deeper into some of the topics because there has been some some interesting developments in the in the last couple of weeks, and uh, we hope to touch on them. But I think uh, the we would be remiss if we didn't start, I guess, with the Golden Gloves that just. Took place last night, Sunday night. Carl, what stood up to you? What's the biggest surprise? What's the biggest win you're happy about? What's the biggest loss you're sad about?
1: I, I do have to admit, as I always caveat on this podcast, I'm more interested in the film side of this than the TV side of this, but I do want to talk through all of it because it's interesting. The globes are it's so interesting that the the globes are kind of an afterthought with the TV award season. Whereas they can kind of be a precursor for the next year, but it's so far between the Globes and the Emmys, it's hard to use it as a barometer for anything. So it was it was not surprising to see, like, Shit's Creek come up uh, in the awards. Interesting that it wasn't a full sweep, because it was competing against other things. I um, was, was not at all surprised to see Anya Taylor-Joy win, which is an Anya Taylor-Joy to me, because I love her as an actress, and have since The Witch... She's even good in the Playmobil movie for, like, five minutes. I've seen the beginning of the Playmobil movie because it's a musical number. I've not seen the rest of it.
0: <laughs> I'm starting to watch Peaky Blinders. Her character has not appeared, but I'm sure she's great
1: at it, too. I didn't know she was on Peaky Blinders. Everyone's on Peaky Blinders. Like, Tom Hardy's on there. Cillian Murphy, obviously. Adrian Brody shows up. Like, I've, I've only seen it in clips in passing, but it's weird how many people are on there. Huh. Interesting. Okay, but as far as the the film news, I the biggest upsets to me were in the actress categories. So, Andrew Day winning for Billy Holiday versus the United States. Did I get that backwards?
0: United States Um, versus Billy Holiday. Yes. United States versus (laughs) Billy Holiday. Very important. You're going to confuse people. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nobody, nobody would ever guess what it was. So she's the uh, titular role, Billy Holiday, which I'm, I was just surprised to see her come up. I'm not uh, familiar with the performance, but I'm also just really saw no buzz around the film except for it getting kind of mediocre reviews as a whole. But apparently, her performance is excellent. Uh, I but I was surprised to see her over Frances McDormand or Carrie Mulligan or even Vanessa Kirby. Viola Davis, I think, has been the conversation, but I think she won really recently, so I I think it was a little less of a pressing issue. Rosamund Pike was a huge upset in in my book, because I expected that to go to Maria Bakalova for Borat, and in fact, Sacha Baron Cohen won for Borat instead, which surprised me. But Rosamund Pike is quite good, and I care a lot. I'm not a fan of the film, but she makes her character work, despite the screenplay not wanting it to. Got it. Okay, you
0: went through a lot of things here. Let's yeah, sorry. I I I monologued <laughs> there.
1: but you asked me what the upsets were, so
0: Oh cool no, all good. You 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 yeah, you, you took a lot of a lot of them in, but uh, let's take them in stride. I think the first thing I am gonna say for Andro Day, I have never heard about this movie.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Not only did you say like I literally cool, I'm glad. I was like, Oh, Andrew Day 1. is like what? What is the United States versus Billy Holiday? Apparently a Hulu movie. Um I saw the trailer after I saw that she won. I want to check it out, but I didn't know it existed. And yeah, like you mentioned, everyone in that category, the the only one you didn't mention is Viola Davis from for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. A yeah. very, very strong category.
1: Yeah, I just, I mean, good for Andra Day because she's sort of the sort of actress that needs to be elevated, whereas all these other actresses are more established. But it's surprising that the, the buzz didn't, carry over and i have this
0: to, yeah i have to ask sasha boron won best actor musical or drama and vorab subsequent movie film won best movie musical or comedy are we surprised are we not surprised i know you have some takes I, the golden globes is also interesting because it's the they separate drama versus musical or yeah. comedy so it's difficult to know if everything was together if it would have been like sixth place uh, but what are your thoughts on seeing it win yeah kind of big
1: well as as far as the category with musical or comedy the five nominees Borat's Borat and Palm Springs are the only real contenders here the mm-hmm. prom is atrocious Ryan Murphy trash like I watched part of it I watched Zazz the musical number with Nicole Kidman which was delightful but terrible um, Sia's music has gotten like kind of worst of year buzz from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Amblton shouldn't be here. Sorry. Agreed. It's nope, agreed. Yep, Why we're on the same page. We did a whole, like, half an episode on it. <laughs> so, therefore, Palm Springs and Borat are here. I mean, I, I'm not necessarily surprised because Amazon has money here. Amazon's, I think, a little less... They play the awards game a little less than everyone else. But I think that compared to a, a Sundance acquisition... Makes a little more sense, especially how Palm Springs was was shunted onto Hulu early on. But I I think I'm a little surprised, but given the category, I'm not surprised. I'm more surprised that he won uh, against Andy Samberg, maybe. But even then, Dev Patel for an Iannucci film nobody saw because of the American release being botched by COVID. Lin-Manuel shouldn't be here. And then James Corden, by all accounts, is (laughs) not... (laughs) great in this film he's like cat's level bad so yeah i'm not surprised by it i think maybe other films should be in here from throughout the year but not surprised that out of these nominees it won
0: yeah yeah i have always find interesting the for best picture but also for the performances how uh i'm sure as you always do you have a more intellectual take on the split but the first thing is, again, right? It's difficult for me to compare them. But yeah. I kind of like that more movies get recognized. I kind of like when split-up happens. Like, I was... We were watching yesterday with Ariella, and she was like, when Borat won, and he won, she was like, I didn't see this one because I remember not liking the first one. But right. like, should I should I rewatch it, right? Yeah. And I feel like that's something cool about awards, and that wouldn't have happened. Probably if, if the if the categories weren't separated. But I think that the biggest question that I have for you is, for actors, actresses, mm-hmm. is the type... I I mean, should we think differently of performances? Not because they're deeper or not deeper or deserve less or more, but does it make sense to separate them like this because there are different types of performances? Or kind of from a... Even from a... You know, uh, if you are a member of the Academy and you're voting, yeah. it actually doesn't make sense and they should be looked at you know, in the same lens. Yeah,
1: I. I think it's. I first of all, I think it's weird that supporting only has every performance on actress and actor. Like, Super if you're gonna weird. do one, do, like, do it for everything. There's certainly enough supporting performances. Usually, supporting is like one of the hardest categories to win an award in because they're like you can come and be a bit player for five minutes and be singular and that deserves to be recognized i i'm on the same page as you i i like just seeing a lot more nominees and that's where something like i mean the rosamund pike win or what i thought would be maria bakalova's win that's something that that's a runway to an oscar but normally with without like the globes being separated like this that performance might not have risen to the top in in the same way so overall i I think it's interesting but in the last few years, there's it's not like the, the Oscars nominate more or fewer Best Picture winners at this point with the, the extended bench, and I think that's how you end up with stuff like this, where you have like the prom and music in there versus these other films that were nominated. It's also a weird year, and it's kind of hard to, to know where things stand.
0: Yeah, but in the Oscars, I think, I would bet that music is not going to be there, and prom is not going to be there, and maybe even Hamilton won't be there, right? Yeah. It would be The Five From Dramas, Borat,
1: Palm Springs, and three other dramas. Probably, yes. I, I think Borat and Palm Springs will get nominated. Maybe Borat or Palm Springs. Again, I think the mm-hmm. weird thing about... I, I can now articulate what's weird about Borat. It's because Borat is offensive, you know? Like... It's a crass movie winning a major right. award. That's that's weird. <laughs> that's that's why it's weird. It's not because it's bad. It's just because, like, Ariella, like, she kind of wants to give it a second chance now. But she's not going to like Borat 2 if she didn't like Borat 1. Like, it's the same thing. Yeah. And I was also thinking, like, the
0: Golden Globes were the awards for Borat. I don't know why I feel like well, the, outside of the U.S. I mean, I think of in Mexico, but like with some of the cultures in Europe that are a little bit the same, whether it's like the Italian or the Spanish, or mm-hmm. I mean, not the Germans, but like we are kind of used to crass, crass, crassness, yeah. is the word like we, you know, we kind of like that, and we <laughs> maybe we're a little bit, a little bit, or a lot behind in like political correctness. And uh, but uh, I could see that white one also in the frame praise, and maybe, like you said, maybe not even getting. Nominated with Academy Awards. Well, I mean, to your
1: point, Sacha Baron Cohen is a very established British comedian, like with a very twisted sense of humor that was developed in Britain. Both films take place in America, but they're also making fun of Americans. You're right. Like this (laughs) totally does play to the HFPA audience. Uh, And it it is kind of surprising that it, it was such a crossover, like cultural success both times. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Chadwick Boseman is the least surprising thing here. I mean, he was going to win. I, I I, think we just... Because there's been so few things this year, I think we all just kind of agreed that he's going to get an Oscar. Like, would he die? Why not?
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think so. Probably will happen with the Oscar as well. Uh, the best drama for Nomadland, for which Chloe Zhao won the Golden Globe. She became only no. the second woman director in history hopefully she'll become the only the second woman in history to win an oscar
1: i cannot believe that it's two out of 79 globes have gone to a, a woman Then that's that that's yeah i mean good great i i think i i don't know if nomadlin will win best picture but i think it she'll she'll pretty much definitely win director because of the narrative around that the fact that it is does seem to be, like, a gem in the rough this year. I'm going to watch it this weekend. I haven't had the chance to watch it yet. And my conspiracy theory, which I've espoused on here before, is that, like, Disney's going to buy that Oscar for her. Because, you know, that land is a Fox searchlight picture. hmm And she's, ca- like, captaining the, the biggest thing in Phase 4 of Marvel. Because Black Widow is, like, a prequel that's a known entity, whereas Eternals is a drastic shift in direction. And to hire Chloe Zhao is a wild decision. And I think they want to, like, how cool was it to be able to be, like, an Oscar-winning filmmaker? Like, they can do, they, Taika won and not like, was nominated for an Oscar probably because of Thor Ragnarok getting him attention. Like, this is the opposite. And that, that shows a lot of power for, for Disney.
0: A Lot of power, because yeah, looking at these categories, uh, Disney got best drama with *Nomadland*. It got best director with Chloe Zhao, and it got got best actress with Andra Day
1: with *Hulu*. And animated film, which is something. Oh I think right, you not I'm just looking at about. these just
0: these these yeah. big categories, right? And then Amazon got two for *Borat*, and even though Netflix was the one that it won like the most in total from these big categories, it only won uh,
1: for Chadwick Boseman. Right. But then Netflix, like, swept the floor with with The Crown. Well, I mean, and that's that's Netflix's thing, right? Like, they invest in a. They always want to have a movie in the awards conversation, and they very well will probably win an Oscar at some point. They keep trying. It seems like Mank might not be their year this year too. <laughs> Who knows? Okay. But like, TV is just like it's 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 Netflix and HBO's game, and and this year the Globes wanted. Netflix, I don't necessarily know why they went for it everywhere, but okay, cool.
0: I want to talk TV, but very quickly running through the other categories for, for movies. Daniel Kaluuya won for uh, Supporting Actor for Judas and the Black Messiah. I hope he wins an Oscar because I love him. Yes, please. Yeah, uh, weird category. Jodie Foster won Supporting Actress for The Mauritanian the new movie that I think is just coming out this week yes. or next week about the Guantanamo Bay um Not Refugee Prisoner, which is supposed to be amazing. I, I really want to watch it. Uh Chloe won for Best Director. Aaron Sorkin in I guess the least interesting <laughs> news of the night, one for the trial of the Chicago Seven for Scrimplay. Yeah. Your boys, T R and AR one for
1: Best Original Score. Hey, John Batiste. And John Baptiste. I'm so, so glad they bought the three of them together. I'm I'm so happy yes. with that. That's good.
0: If they win, we we talked about this the other day. If they win the Oscar, is their th-
1: third or they their second? Did they Oscar. win for social network, just social oh, network. It? They've been nominated every time they've made a. Actually, they were not nominated for the girl with the dragon tattoo. I think or Gone Girl. There were there was something that I was mad about them not being nominated for. Um. Anyway, anyway, but they've only won for the social network. But I, again, like looking at this. News of the World, Tenet, Midnight Sky have no energy behind them, even though they're all known composers. And then Trent Reznor and Alex Ross are splitting the bill here. But then for voters, if, if I mean the Ross, the Ross and Reznor scores are the best scores this year, so they're probably going to put their weight behind Soul because it gets to honor a third person. That's what I would think, and I like mm-hmm. it a little better. Makes sense. <laughs> uh, best animated feature, Soul beat wolf workers which I actually pretty uh, sad about. It also yeah. beat uh, the crude's a new age <laughs> that's sad yeah,
0: no that's no that's sad and right. but i
1: it's it's kind of like based on the, the selection of films they had last year it's kind of funny that trolls 2 wasn't nominated just after what a hoopla mm. had made.
0: <laughs> after being the covid movie yes and, and then, I think, yeah, the last one before moving to TV, which is an interesting one, is best foreign language film, Minari, which was a very weird choice. We talked about it. It's an American film about a very it's American story. It's so funny. Story. And in the, in the Golden Globes, if you are nominated for best foreign language film, you're not nominated for the others, which is not what happens in the Academy Awards. So, Minari could actually be the one that ends up taking, they could end up taking best best film, period. In the in the Oscars, that's that's a very
1: good point. It is that's one f- that's for sure getting added to the list. Yeah, I think that that's gonna certainly get in there. It's gonna take the prom spot for sure. <laughs> and then with that, another round
0: is gonna win best foreign film in the Oscars and make you happy.
1: Yeah, make Mads happy too. Oh, I'd love a Mads Mickelson actor nomination, but I doubt that's gonna happen
0: okay so moving moving to tv uh this is a weird year for me i'm not a crown person i know it's gonna make our friend kevin very sad i'm i i do not
1: yeah i might never got me my parents are into it they've tried to get me into it i've seen a season and a half and it's like i'd ra- i'd rather just read the wikipedia that i keep pausing to like read instead that's that's my take on it but it's it's fine it's yeah. well acted i love the casts in general yeah, uh the Crown wins best
0: drama, Josh O'Connor wins best actor, Emma Corrin wins best actress, and then on the always weird supporting <laughs> in TV, Gillian Anderson wins, but she was also fighting against Annie Murphy in She's Creek and like it's it's supporting supporting in TV is for series, mini series or television film no matter the genre, which is bananas. <laughs> like for supporting actor John Boyega won for small acts which is like this very cool new type of thing you could call it a miniseries five movies whatever but he was against Brendan Gleeson for the Comedy Rule, Dan Levy for Sheets Creek Jim Parsons for Hollywood and Donald Sutherland for The Undoing which is just a, a funny mix of characters to see bunch together
1: that is, that is the weirdest list of five people in Hollywood you could come up with they're all like incredibly different people They, I don't know, I love Donald Sutherland. I had no idea he's in The Undoing. Still not going to make me watch The Undoing, but, like, all of these five people have insanely different energy. (laughs) But, hey, good. And I'm happy to see John Boyega win something, especially, like, he thumped his nose at Disney, and therefore he's probably not going to get Disney roles anytime soon, so it's nice for him to win awards so he stays in the conversation. I love Boyega. That's true. That's true. I like that. Um, yeah, musical or comedy, she's Creek,
0: which, uh, yeah, I guess wasn't very surprising. However, well, and Katherine O'Hara won as Moira Rose. By the way, we're staying in, in New Orleans. The neighborhood, the neighbors across the street have one of those, like, yard signs, you know, like, for mm-hmm. president or whatever. And it says, elect Moira Rose, oh, Moira Rose honor, honorary muse. It's cute. <laughs> I don't know if it was for the Golden Gloves. Maybe actually they had it for the Golden Gloves. Aww what um, helped but for yeah she won for best actress and uh, Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso which I'm finally starting this week I promise I'm starting it this week have I... you watched it? it's a sports show it's the one where they hit the ball and it has nets
1: it's called football in the rest of the world oh come on. Have you watched it? I made a rude <laughs> hand gesture that doesn't translate to a <laughs> to a podcasting format, so it's not explicit. Uh, I haven't watched it. I actually, I didn't have time this afternoon. I was going to crank through an episode this afternoon just to say I had. I'm looking forward to watching it. People have been making fun of Sudeikis because he was wearing a hoodie and discombobulated. I. It seems like he was just genuinely actually surprised by the moment, and the Zoom format was messing with him more than anything. But I'm happy for Sudeikis. I like Sudeikis.
0: Yeah, also an interesting list. Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso. Don Cheadle for Black Monday. Nicholas Holt for The Great. Eugene Levy for Cheese Creek. And Rami Juicy for Rami. Okay. It's, yeah. It's musical or comedy, but fine.
1: I, like, I had no idea about this Black Monday show. Like, it's... I'm looking at the cast. It's Don Cheadle, Andrew Rannells, Regina Hall, and Paul Shear. I like all of them. <laughs> well, and you haven't watched the show. Yeah, I haven't watched the show. It's a dark comedy about the Black Monday stock stock crash. See, that's the problem with streaming. Is There's just so much stuff.
0: There's so much stuff.
1: Including... Not- I was gonna say we're not a film and TV podcast we are a film and TV business podcast so it's excusable for (laughs) us not to have seen anything everything on the list (laughs) yeah because speaking of things we haven't watched Mark Ruffalo
0: won for I Know This Much Is True which I have on my list in HBO Max
1: but I don't know what that is I one of my roommates tried watching it and started it and liked it okay but I don't think he finished it and it came out in like April or May of last year that's just what's so weird about the Globes is it is the Oscars kind of map pretty closely to the film year and to a year or the film calendar kind of is so close to the end of the year, whereas the TV calendar is in the spring. So it's just it's it's weird. I guess the Emmys are probably more in the wrong place than that than the globes are. But the Emmys are the dominant award. Yeah, true. So it's still confusing. I think this is probably the globes where I've seen the least amount of things ever as as far as my adult life between the TV I'm not caught up with and the movies that just like, haven't been out for me to stream or like they came out in the last two weeks and I haven't had the chance to stream them. It's it's weird to feel this behind on the film calendar for me, but that's 2020 for you.
0: Yeah. I guess the last thing also, I don't know if you watched was uh, the Queen's Gambit. Yeah. Yeah. Taylor joy. Won uh, for Best Actress and it won for Best Miniseries or Television Film. Which was... I mean... I enjoyed it. It was it was good. I liked it. I think she's great on it. But, like, I've only watched two of the five uh, small acts things. I don't know how to call them. And I think those are, like,
1: way better. But... Uh, oh, yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean... That's five movies from a, like, very established, exciting director versus kind of like the the peak netflix drama miniseries like it's good but it's like netflix good it, it's like a, a butterfinger versus like a nice piece of dark chocolate you know
0: <laughs> i'm so glad you chose butterfinger because all the other ones that are like butterfinger are actually really like <laughs> three musketeers milky way sneakers butterfinger I actually don't like at all so good
1: Yeah, i actually like butterfinger so it was it was me trying to be nicer <laughs> <laughs> okay there you go to me to me the, the queen's gambit is like a dark chocolate butterfinger which i don't think exists but it's not as refined i'll find as it as for you a nice piece of chocolate i'll find thank it for you, you. <laughs> anything so, else on the golden globes as we look forward
0: to the oscars
1: uh not really i mean it does clarify some things like it clarifies the ascend the sorry, the ascendancy of i think borat into the ranks as a serious contender it solidifies Chadwick Boseman's Oscar. Mm-hmm. Rosamund Pike is now more part of the conversation. I mean, it just helps. It helps that the movie just came out. I think I think there's some interesting tea leaves, and we're going to go into them more deeply as we get closer to the Oscars. But yeah, I, I don't know. Usually I don't watch the Globes anyway. Like, I rarely pay attention to the Globes, but I always know the results because it kind of helps with the working theory of what's going to win Oscars. And this year... Especially just felt like, okay, now I can pay attention to the award season because it started. Because I know what this is and I can see what people are talking about. But just this year, there's so many people have not seen the things because they haven't been as available to see. Though perversely, because of streaming, they are going to be more available to see than ever. Mm-hmm. It, it's just that the timing is a little weird.
0: Yeah, I that makes sense. For me, I think the biggest takeaway, and it's something we tweeted about today, it's just because of the type of year that it is. I think la- even yesterday, I could watch all of the films if I wanted to. Yeah. A lot of them, they were already available. Nomadland is now on Hulu. But uh, it, like regardless of cost, just having that availability felt very different, especially from like my time in Mexico when... Even the Oscars, like you saw the movies and you're like, that's coming out in like six months. Right. Like Makes you sense. can't watch any of these movies yet. And then all like this year everything got switched on their back and even, you know, Minari that you have to like rent and it's not available anywhere. You can just rent it anywhere you are, yeah. at whatever time you want. And whether the experience I mean, we've talked about how much we like theaters, it's different, and you're not watching it in this setting. I do like the access side of it a lot. I think it, it if if I talked a little bit of, like, Ariel and getting people to see these types of movies, I think being able to literally be like, oh, I'm going to watch it when this ends. Click three buttons and see it. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I agree that, in general, as much as I like to see as much as I can in a theater, it's nice to have the access, and it's nice that more people have the access, because it means more people are going to watch this instead of... Um, Extraction or whatever. I was trying to think of a random big Netflix movie that like nobody has thought about in six months, despite it being the most watched movie of all time. Bird Box. Yes. (laughs) So let's let's continue on the streaming notes. Um, we to Atan's point earlier about us just kind of having a grab bag episode this week. We realized that after covering streaming for like two months and doing nothing but streaming. We rebelled against that by doing nothing about streaming, <laughs> except the fact that it's kind of the dominant distribution mode right now, so we are swinging back and trying to cover some some big news stories we missed. But as far as something that's currently developing, Paramount Plus is launching this week, which promises, as its Super Bowl commercials say, a mountain of entertainment. It's so cute. What you, it is cute. What do you think about this service? I like it. The first thing that I, I just
0: connected the dots, it's how, so Paramount Plus, it's the streaming service of Viacom, Yeah. CVS. And Viacom is is one of those companies that it's still a little bit weird. Like, I think things became easier to understand, right? When you think of AT&T, yeah. you know that that has Warner Brothers and that has HBO and it's kind of vertical. Yeah. And when you think of like, I at least I do, NBC Universal is kind of, Comcast, right? It's kind of one thing, vertical, etc. Disney, very obvious. But Viacom has always been one that it's very confusing for me. Yeah, because they have CBS and they have Nickelodeon and they have like uh, Paramount, Showtime. of course. Showtime. They don't they have also like, uh, isn't Turner somehow connected to them? Tur- Turner's and
1: Warner Brothers. Okay, Turner's and Warner Brothers. But at the same time, like that is a that's exactly the sort of thinking of it though is like it's weird how some of these brands have separate brands like the, within Warner Brothers and ATT, Turner has a separate brand kind of and CNN has a separate brand from the Warner Brothers Warner Media stack but all of the Viacom brands are these weird separate brands that don't have any like shared identity.
0: Yeah and I think what clicked earlier was uh, CBS All Access launching before there's there's these stories right of like Les Moonves he was the head of CBS for a long time like not really vibing with with the Viacom people and yeah. him kind of pushing for CBS All Access even if it didn't make sense in this new world and then it, ne- it never really taking off I would imagine the same hyping with Showtime which at first it was just like yeah if you have it on your on your cable service you know you can do this and watch everything whenever you you want and then you could get I have Showtime because I pay for Spotify student Great. So, like, a super distributed <laughs> strategy, not really putting everything. I think after seeing the the, um, the service announcement, it it's kind of the first time that I thought, I'm going to have one or two that I always have, mm-hmm. which might be, well, three because my mother pays for Netflix, but, like, Netflix, HBO, and Disney. And then whenever I want to watch a movie that it's on, like, Peacock or this one or something else, I'm going to have it for a month. Yeah. Take... A lot of advantage of it, and then I'm going to cancel. And then I'm going to sure. come back in three. Like, And it's I, it's the first time that I kind of thought about it as pieces of a puzzle and not something that I have to really nail. Like, oh, this is going to be perfect. And I'm going to have exactly this for the next 24 months. Because it does have some interesting stuff, uh, but not enough to keep me there.
1: I, I agree with that assessment. I think I feel the same way. To me it seems it's a compelling proposition here more so than Peacock because Peacock still has a pretty I think still has a pretty limited content library overall Viacom CBS has so many different brands and so much stuff that until now has been so segregated that I think Paramount Plus weirdly feels like a good deal Right now, just because it's all these things that you kind of mentally probably put in a box as they're distributed everywhere or they're all going to be their own streaming service or something. And instead, it's just like, oh, like it's all this stuff in one place. It's I think once the the shock of that wears off, it'll kind of settle into being like you said, like it'll be a peacock where it's like not necessarily an essential service because it's it's more like I wanna watch this specific show or this specific um movie or whatnot. But I think there's a bigger brand identity here around like their big brands like Nickelodeon or like mm-hmm. yeah. It's 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 weird that CBS All Access was weirdly just kind of a Star Trek st- streaming service, was like the only thing people were really paying <laughs> attention to. You could watch on it.
0: football sometimes. You could watch like live yeah. TV and, and, and sports. That's what I used it for. I guess I, I watched the Super Bowl on CBS All Access. I got a seven day free trial to do that. But I yeah, I guess they started with the live things, right? They were the first ones, not Peacock. They were. had kind of an
1: undercurrent. And I. We should dig more into why that is, because I'm the the whole thing about one of the weird things about that 30 rock special that NBC did for upfronts <laughs> was it was so heavily promoting Peacock and all the local affiliates didn't play that special on TV because it was competing with what their revenue is, which is from the affiliate stuff affiliate ads. And I thought that was interesting and in, that's why some of those live rights are so tied up is because the affiliates won't allow it but i guess cbs had better deals with their affiliates or something because you're right from day one they were had this live tv thing but it's it's weird that their live tv is essentially stuff that's free over the air anyway right if
0: you have an antenna
1: right exactly which i don't mm-hmm. but
0: you could yeah i remember uh <laughs> dear listeners if you have a TV and you buy one of these digital antennas that you can buy for like fifteen bucks on Amazon, you can get—I think now even four K CBS, NBC, ABC, mm-hmm. and Fox, PBS, and a couple of others—and not de- pay it, anything. Not, it depends not on your market. Cable. Yeah, it depends yeah, on your market. It still exists, but yeah, it's weird. I remember my cousin showing me to me like eight years ago. And him saying, like, yeah, you can watch, like, standard definition or click a button, high definition. It's like, really? With the antenna? It's like, yeah. <sighs> but anyway. Yeah. With, with their $6 ad-supported channel, I'm definitely going to be like, oh, you know, I've never watched Top Gun. And there is this other three right. things. I'm going to subscribe for a, for a month. This is great. I also think they're probably now the second... It's the second strongest family offering behind yeah. Disney. With Nickelodeon. With Dora and... Uh, Blue and yeah, you know Arnold and all of that stuff from before, uh, which could be pretty compelling that, that family offering.
1: I think so. I think the one thing hindering them here is Viacom CBS hasn't been as precious with their rights, so a lot of this stuff is available elsewhere. Like, like take like Avatar: The Last Airbender and the Legend of Korra. Cora was CBS All Access exclusive for a bit. I think it's going elsewhere now, too. Uh, Avatar, like Netflix has an Avatar live action series in production, which mm-hmm. like that's something Disney would never have allowed if they had they had mm-hmm. a streaming service on the, the horizon. I mean, that's why they killed the Marvel shows on Netflix. So it's interesting to see Viacom kind of competing with itself with some of these platforms. Big Bang Theory is a huge one. They let go to Peacock, or no, they let it go to Warner Media for HBO Max.
0: I yeah. know. Outside of the US, it's on Disney Plus. Really? I think. On Star? Yeah, because it's a. I think it's an. No, I'm confusing it with something else. No, I think you're right. It's a CVS show, but because it was produced by NBC, it's an like a. Universal Studios it's in yeah it's in Peacock it's also there was another one that that made it to Disney and it's like what oh How I Made Your Mother I think How I Made Your Mother it's in Uh, Disney Plus outside of the US or something like that
1: that's weird but yeah it's just just how this all rolls except Disney just managed to like be more precious with the rights since day one and get all these things back for Disney Plus for the most part except to Marvel Land you can't watch that on there yet (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah as, we'll as, for, as far as the original content goes that they've announced it's like seems to be the crassest of the like we need to remake everything of it all like they're doing a new fraser series they're remaking a bunch of old paramount movies like the parallax view and the italian job and flash dance which is just it's odd it's mm-hmm. like it's not like I could understand remaking something like you know Back to the Future or something where it's like this huge, massive like franchise success, but making like remaking old like crime movies and thrillers from the seventies and eighties is just kind of weird. Who's that for? I have no idea. I couldn't tell you.
0: Oh, I just remember the other piece that they have. They have uh, Comedy Central and MTB. Right. Those were the two ones that I was confusing with Turner Comedy Central
1: those are big yeah yeah Uh,
0: yeah no i would say not super excited about it it was better than i thought it was going to be in terms of what they have i'm sure i'll get it for a couple
1: of months here and there when i want to watch something i agree it's it's not a bad service i'm sure it'll do fine (laughs) but it's not i don't think it's a rocket ship yeah same so Speaking of things that may or may not be a rocket ship, Eitan and I did want to circle back from the episode where we did math about Wonder Woman and how much it needed to break even. And we decided to go back through HBO's numbers from AT&T's quarterly earnings report last report last year, or I guess annual reports as it was Q4, and kind of read the tea leaves to see to see if there was an answer to our question, which is was Wonder Woman 1984 profitable? Was it?
0: <sighs> that's an interesting question. We'll never know. But we did get more information, like you said. And when we first looked at it, we kind of the number that you need to remember is that we say that HBO Max needed to kind of add 20 million subscriber months. So that's either 20 million subscribers joining for one month and then leaving... Or 1 million subscribers joining for exactly 20 months. That's kind of what they needed to break even. Just recoup the cost of making the movie and marketing. Or they needed to make around 40 million subscriber months in order to recoup the money that they probably would make in a theatrical release, which is around a billion dollars. And then consider the revenue split. Kind of what we what we did here in two different ways, and the can walk us through the first one, is kind of look at... Um, two different things. The first one is uh, HBO Max usually adds subscribers via two ways. They either add people that come to HBO Max who weren't subscribers at all before. So you can think of like a net new subscriber or they convert someone from a previous HBO offering. You know, maybe they had an HBO through their cable and they had HBO Max for free and they just hadn't created one. In which case, you know, they don't make new money, but they get a new pair of variables in the system or they get people like me in mexico i had hbo go which was like the previous iteration which again you could transfer for free to an hbo max you could also have like the hbo channel with amazon or roku and transition to be an hbo max subscriber so in the first type which is this new subscriber it means new money but they could also add these new subscribers where they couldn't they wouldn't make more money but now they would have them in hbo max where you know They could say, hey, they're going to stay longer. It's going to be better because their experience is going to be better or whatever.
1: Right. And I mean, and they can sunset one of the infrastructures too. Like there's a lot of benefits of having them on one platform. And the big news coming out of Q4 was that about five and a half million people who were holdouts converted their old HBO Go or Now accounts into an HBO Max account. So it went from 5.6 million to about 197,000 people, which is a shockingly low number still on, on the old HBO. So overall a success for conversion. But what we're interested in is something where, this is one of our assumptions here, is that AT&T gets zero net value from, from a financial perspective from converting HBO subscribers to HBO Max subscribers. Obviously, like you said, this isn't, quite true because there are all these benefits but as far as if we're coming up if we're using the four numbers they gave us to figure out how much money wonder woman made i want to just like take a look at it from a con- a net ad perspective so yeah you can think of it
0: as uh yeah i was just gonna say think that the value that they get from these conversions is great in the synergy you know just forget about the value that they give in terms of new money right because you could say, you know, these people would have converted at some point because, you know, they could just say, hey, I'm going to turn off HBO. If HBO Go, just go to HBO Max.
1: Right. So then if we take that assumption and we're looking at new signups, so first off, we have a number that about 3.3 million people signed up directly through HBO Max. So they went to hbomax.com, signed up there with their credit card, and they get billed through... Warner Brothers. Warner takes all the money, more give or take a credit card processing fee. And then <laughs> from there, there are the two numbers, which is there's the number of wholesale customers that increase. So therefore people that subscribe to it elsewhere besides Max.com. So there was an increase there, but I also wanted to subtract out the, the number of people that just converted their account. So all in all, you're only really seeing a, besides people that signed up on hbomax.com, the net ad of HBO subscribers through other methods was only about 200,000 people actually signed up through their cable company or through channels or whatnot. Most people had already like had it and the growth rate's not that huge. So all in all, they added 3.6 million people and that was in Q4. So, in looking at my number, like you said, the magic number is 20, 20 million subscriber months. Mm-hmm. So, if you're looking at that over one month, they needed 20 million people to sign up to make it profitable in a month. If you're looking over at a year, they need 1.67 million. And if we assume that Wonder Woman took a like a month worth of subscriber signups, which I know is a t- like a ridiculous assumption considering it came out <laughs> on the 24th of December. But I'm sure they took a, got a lot of that bump up at Christmas time. Let's just say a third of those signups are attributable to Wonder Woman. That means that they signed up 1.2 million people because of Wonder Woman. So a little less than that magical kind of 1.67 number they needed for a full year. But... There's all these other benefits, too, where I I think we're on the same page that this wasn't a failure at all. It was actually a success.
0: Yeah, I think the takeaway is, like, if if all Wonder Woman did was add these 1.2 million subscribers and they're able to keep them for a year, you know, on average, they break even. Yeah. Or if they're able to keep them for two years... They, definitely they make break back they, they definitely break, not only break even they make back the money that I could have made in the theatrical release and yeah when we were talking about this is like that makes sense they probably did that because here we're not considering the users that maybe really would have churned that didn't churn because of wonder woman we're not even thinking about that um and to your point i think you say that maybe a third it's too much of people that signed up between december 25th and december 31st i think it might be too little I actually would say like maybe two thirds of that quarter number joined because of Wonder Woman. That was a huge movie. I so would absolutely. I think agree. we're both. Yeah, we would. We would both be a little bit surprised because I think going into the analysis last time, we say that it was going to be very difficult for them to do it, and uh, just going from my experience, but also what I'm hearing from the people around me, like people are finding HBO Max to be good. Like, yeah. Once you get there, once they get you there with Wonder Woman. Their catalog is very impressive,
1: and that's one side of the coin. Real quick, before we go to your much more elegant calculation, <laughs> i i was I did want to comment on the fact that there were really only five and five and a half, roughly million people left on the old HBO Now subscription plan. Like the way the media painted it, and the way the numbers in Q coming from Q two to Q three looked. It looked a lot more like, oh my god, everyone's holding out because everyone's more than half of the people are subscribing through Amazon and, and Roku, and it, early on that was totally the story. But it looks like the, the use case for HBO Max did reach a point where those that, people that could convert without like their plan being unconvertible, they were either they were either converting and just casting or watching on a different device or canceling their partner thing and subscribing directly or through another method so this kind of pushes back on our theory that the hardware manufacturers have more power than than hbo right now
0: i think the hbo one had also this weird thing with roku no where was it i think with uh, amazon that they agreed to buy more aws in exchange for better deals so it, it was like this weird thing um But yeah, on my side, it was a little bit of a similar calculation. I just didn't look back at what we did (laughs) three months ago. But I basically did, yeah, if 2 million out of these 3.5 joined because of Wonder Woman and you get $15 from each of these per month, you make around 30 million bucks uh, per month. So you multiply that by a year, that gets you to like the $350,000 that they had to pay in order to get the movie done. If you do that for two years, you kind of get to that point where you need to uh, make back the money that you would have made in the box office. And yeah, again, with the things that we didn't bring in, like the people that didn't churn, or um, that some of these users... Again, this is the average. Some users will definitely drop out after a month, but if the average is more than two years, definitely not bad. And uh, again, we're also discounting a lot the value of getting people to HBO max which might be larger than we think i think uh like i was mentioning the other side of the coin is that wonder woman was very successful but they've released three movies since then that would have been in the theaters uh all all the little things or the little things no i think it's all the little things no
1: it's just the little things
0: (laughs) oh the little things with denzel washington and jared leto and remy malek uh judas and the black messiah we talked about daniel kaluuya one best supporting actor and I think just this week, Tom and Jerry.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely understand that Wonder Woman's profitable and would be profitable. And obviously there's a ton of error in our, our model because we didn't account for like revenue splits with partners and whatnot. We didn't make it detailed. But if you want that, we have to have a Patreon tier where you're going to pay me a consulting salary to actually sit down and build that model. That's that's another another podcast for now. Yes. <laughs> but yes. When we have a anyway, Patreon, yeah. Yeah, we can do the Patreon where we actually <laughs> do detailed modeling work. Anyway, yeah, it makes total sense that that would be the case. But Judas in the Black Messiah—how much did that cost? Without me looking, yeah. But while you do that, like this
0: reinforces the—I mean, it's a common thing that I really believe that is that all of these originals and huge names are about customer acquisition. And then the library is about retention, and Wonder Woman is kind of the only one so far that has had even close to the the punch to get people to join. These other three movies are gonna play a role; like they are a reason. Like the little things I haven't watched, but I want to watch, is one of the reasons I want to stay. But they're not a reason I think while they wanna acquire customers, which is the whole pitch for this change to uh,
1: the day and date release. Right. So, yeah, Judas and the Black Messiah needs 2.6 million subscriber months if we assume it's, so it's a $26 million budget times an extra 1. Point, so 1.5x for marketing fees and whatnot. So, yeah, that's not as high as Wonder Woman, but at the same time, like, I don't think necessarily that many people are going to sign up or, what is it? Maybe, do I don't think 210,000 people signed up to watch Judas and the Black Messiah this month. They might over a longer library term, and like over the long horizon, all this does make a little bit of sense. But as far as a make your bet cash back quick from COVID thing, I don't think the strategy is going to work out from that perspective.
0: No, 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 no. They're, all, they're not writing it off, but they're just saying all of this money that we spent and all the opportunity costs that we gave away... That again, it might not have been that high because releasing movies in this setting is not a thing. It just became, let's invest in getting people here. Uh, TBD, I think for these movies, things like Judas and the Black Messiah were, you know, they might also win some of the Oscars. A lot of people yeah. would have seen them in a regular year in a movie theater. And, you know, I haven't given up on my, my prediction that they're going to change their minds by summer. yeah, And they're going to say... We did what we had to do, but New York reopened movie theaters to 25% last week. California might be soon behind. Vaccinations are very quickly moving up in the U.S. Johnson & Johnson is
1: a huge game changer. Oh, right. Just got
0: approved. Yeah. Yes. They're not going to throw away their one shot. It's only one shot. A lot (laughs) of memes about Johnson & Johnson. Uh, (laughs) And they have... Most of their cool movies, huge movies, are in the back end of the year, so... I'm still yeah. holding on hope for that prediction.
1: I think we will be watching Timmy Chalamet drink water through his suit on Arrakis on, in IMAX. That's what we're going to do. Perfect. <laughs> I like that. We'll do a special episode for that. But on the flip side of this, I, we're so we're flipping coins and flipping metaphors and whatnot here. <laughs> they sued so Bob Chapek at Disney today said in an interview at a investor conference one of his only appearances outside of official ceo business this year just because disney's been very secretive and hidden from investors this year for good reason but he said that he doesn't think that he's not sure that there's any going back from to the like 90 day or even 60 day theatrical windows of pre-covid looking more at a 45 day window until PVOD or even streaming. And he said that this is... He thinks this is more about consumer taste. It's not necessarily what Disney wants to do. But he doesn't think that customers are going to be able to like let that stand. I think that's a fair analysis.
0: Yeah, I think it's fair. I think also Disney... You know, they play on their own turf. They're able to do that because they release maybe 12 movies a year. And... Maybe eight of them can be billion-dollar movies. No. So they can be, I think, more hands-on with them. Raya comes out this Friday with Premiere Access. I think it's going to do significantly better than Mulan. I'm going to buy it. I'm gonna I was going to are you going to do it
1: or are you going to wait?
0: No, I'm going to do it. What do you mean? You know, I also have a family connection with Walt Disney Animation, so I, I need to watch it. But, I, yeah, I think of Disney... Th- I agree with the setting that there is no putting the genie back in the bottle, that theatrical releases are going to be shorter, but we've said that what HBO Max is doing is backwards. They release it in HBO Max at the same time as the movie theater for a month, and then they take it away. Yeah. I could see it the other way around. Hey, everyone has the same deal as Universal, one month only in the movie theaters, then streaming. That I see happening. Uh, but again, Disney is um, extra powerful. They continue to do their premiere access when they when they can. They'll, they'll play a lot with their release strategies as they go along.
1: I wonder... So, going back to the original big thing about theaters, which was Trolls 2, which we, we talked about earlier, or Trolls, Trolls World Tour, rather. So that deal was about PVOD earnings for Universal movies. So AMC is going to get a cut of all PVOD product, pro, profits within a certain period. I wonder if NBC Universal is just going to skirt that by pushing things straight to Peacock as quickly as they can.
0: did even make anything?
1: Yeah. I. It seems like I. I don't know how the, the terms of that deal, but just it seems like that's a a better strategy for those films that maybe aren't doing as well, and they could just put them right there without having to give any of uh, the the profits away.
0: I can't wait to go back to the theater. I want the summer to happen and. Everyone get vaccinated. Please no more anti-vaxxers. Let's get this over with. Yeah. we be back in a movie theater by September. Even before some people, I think. Maybe, me, maybe September.
1: Yeah. I mean, once I've got the vaccine, I will be going to the theater frequently because nobody's going anyway. As long as I wear my mask the whole time, I'm really not infecting anyone or risking myself. So I'll, I'll go and watch all the weird stuff, if theaters are even open near where I am. But we'll see.
0: You'll report back. I'll pay for Premier Access and report back.
1: That's fair. To each his own. (laughs) So in our final item this week, let's talk about paying Disney even more money.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And theme parks. Disneyland has been, we've, we've kept you updated, has been... ...fighting the California government. They have been closed for almost a year now. I think in like three weeks. I think it was late March. Um, been closed for a year now. And wow. while Disney Springs, which is... The, sorry, Downtown Disney, which is the the retail site... ...has followed the retail announcements of the government... ...and they've been able to open some of the restaurants and outdoor dining. The theme parks have been closed... They were able to open California Adventure, which we touched on in a lot of detail last week. So, if you haven't watched that episode, you should go watch it. They opened up the retail kind of section, Buena Vista Street of that park. And you could just go shop as if it was um, an extension of Downtown Disney. And this week, they announced that they are coming up with this new uh, kind of offering that they're going to do.
1: So, it's called Touch of Disney which is a more advanced version of what they've they've done so previously they had opened up like Carthay Circle at the very entrance to California Adventure but instead this is going to be pretty much the entirety of California Adventure is going to be open for like outdoor shopping and dining so they're going to take some of the Disneyland experiences like like Dole Whip and some of these these snacks that you can only get at the Main Disneyland park. They're going to port those over. And it's going to be an outdoor food and dining experience. So it's seventy five dollars including parking. You also get a twenty five dollar gift card for paying for dining within the parks. So essentially, it's it's fifty bucks for the entrance here for the theming for and access. to hang out and to for the ability to like make another reservation at a restaurant outside of Disney.
0: Which I think, I think we talked about these like. Six months ago, maybe in one of our first episodes, right? That what was the thing that was getting banned with COVID? Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it was the rights, the indoor rights, right? Which makes sense. But then if all the outdoor malls could be open and the restaurants could be open if they had outdoor dining, why didn't they let them do that? And I don't know if this was a government thing or a Disney thing figuring out the logistics, but... Again, it's a company... Getting creative, trying to figure things in ways. I think they realized that they were just they weren't just gonna bully the government into getting allowing them to open.
1: I imagine a lot of it was a Disney thing, because in the end, this is still like a pretty niche product that they're offering, and it doesn't make sense to keep Disneyland operating for a year like this or just even weekends like this. But I think they're looking at the vaccination rates and looking at everything and realizing, okay, it's probably good to get a skeleton crew back into the parks, have people operating and running things again, and get, like, our competency back up after a year of being down. And we can do that with this, like, pretty, like, low-touch, easy method that, I mean, it is – I'm sure it's going to be successful. I mean, if you and I were locals, we'd probably both do this, honestly. Like, it's – Oh like, yeah,
0: I was gonna say they're probably charging fifty bucks for access just to manage demand. Yeah, because exactly. they, if they made if they made just free, like just make a reservation at a restaurant, this would be super oversubscribed.
1: Yeah, it'd be crazy, and like, it does, is it a little ridiculous to pay fifty dollars to walk around a, a facade for a few hours? Uh, yeah. Yes, but it makes us happy, so we would do it.
0: It's also it's also ridiculous to pay hundred and seventy dollars to go to Disneyland, right? It's you're it's right. a and it's a it's a basic supply and demand. We're happy well, to do it for the value that we get, and there is so many people willing to pay it, and so much like so much scarcity in space that prices shoot up.
1: But that's why you pay the extra hundred dollars to do that instead of Universal or hundred fifty dollars to do that instead of Six Flags. Is those are fun and they have like better rides and as far as a thrill experience. But you go to Disney oh, for like the magic, you know.
0: Yeah, but I think when I, whenever I hear someone complaining about the prices at Disney going up, I'm like, of course, like, it's bad. And I see the cash-grabbing side of like, well, let's see how far we can take this. But, if, you know, if these theme parks hit capacity a couple of days a year, every year, no matter what the price is, and they need to manage when people come because there is limited amount of space. Yeah. That's what's like, going to happen. In I the mean, end, yeah, this is... It's the same as the housing in San Francisco, and yeah, yeah I mean, so many things.
1: Exactly, it, but like Disney's, you know, not a human right that we need to <laughs> provide. People oh no, 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 not at all. But, but <laughs> at the same time, you're right. Like it is, it is the free market, and this is something that like the, being regulated by the free market is is not problematic at all. You know, like it's it's Disneyland. <laughs> they they can charge as whatever they want to... for access to their weird little club. As opposed to the electric grid in Texas. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. You know, like that's something where it's like, no oh, there probably should be some power regulations there.
0: Literally, when we say we plan for the worst case scenario, this is what we mean: <laughs> people I, dying and getting hit with sixteen thousand dollar le- electricity bills. Anyway, I digress. Sorry, I care about <laughs> these things.
1: Also. I mean, you—you just—you. This is a lived experience you just had. You can let it out. It's okay. This is this is what this podcast is for. Is for you. <laughs> but to it have was a space also... to share.
0: This was also literally my final project for my masters in energy. It was literally <laughs> it was, it was right. literally it was literally like electricity grids and managing for loads <laughs> and was, I was like yeah, I was living my I was living my my dreams I guess for 6 months.
1: I have, I have a story like that, which is when I was in, in back in 2013, I interned at Basically, I was an outside consultant at Sandia National Labs in California with Department of Energy Research. And the the Sandia in California, as opposed to the one in, in New Mexico, is very biologics-focused. Mm-hmm. And I was helping them come up with a commercialization strategy for a rapid PCR uh, method that they invented. So essentially, it was... Doing a lot of automation, very Theranos style, but not. It was it was real, you know, and it was it was doing one test instead of all the tests. But yeah, essentially an automated workflow for rapidly processing PCR instead of. Uh, so PCR is how you basically make a bunch of copies of DNA so you can sequence it, and it's a long process. It takes about twenty four hours, and it's like a little energy intensive and everything, but. It's, it's a really boring process. It just takes time because the reactions are slow. So this would have cut the standard PCR time down to about six to eight hours instead of 24, but they never got, there was like never any funding or actual use case for it because it was basically only a defense technology for like biologics attacks. So then I'm sitting here at the beginning of COVID being like, wouldn't it be nice if we could have PCR quality testing and, six to eight hours instead of 24 hours and actually test it was just crazy and it was weird that you know that came back and in my mind i'm like wow somebody did try to solve this at some point
0: yeah it's one of and don't you feel like also with that is one of those things like i was talking with someone and uh, you never want to seem you know Like, I don't know the conversation. And they'll be like, well, we can disagree. And I was like, no. Like, I researched this for a year and a half. (laughs) We can't disagree. (laughs) This is how it is. (laughs) You know, it it might be because these things froze. You know, they keep saying about the winter. it's like, no, that wasn't the reason. I don't care. It's not about disagreeing. And so, yeah, you can be like, well, but the PCR is like, well, listen. I actually, (laughs) I can't believe I know about this, but I do.
1: Right. I mean, and that's just kind of the, the the weird thing about, you know, the careers we've had is just you kind of incidentally bump into things and learn about them and you spend 6 months thinking about it and then you just kind of erase it from your mind and then every once in a while it's like, "Huh. That's weird." It <laughs> I'm pops a, up. like I'm a smee compared to the rest of the population here.
0: <laughs> it's like <laughs> when somebody asks you for recommendations for a for a speakeasy in Shanghai, you have one.
1: We have one. That is that is true. We do.
0: Heat us up if anyone wants to know what it is. <laughs> I think uh, on that note, those were the news. Do you have any
1: AUAs? I don't really have an AUA for you, but shooting from the hip here, what's your best picture pick for the Oscars based on the Globes conversation we had?
0: I think I would like to see Minari win. I think seeing Minari win could be, I mean, I know that South Korean movie won last year, and this is of a South Korean family in the US. But like all of this talk again with the Golden Gloves and it not being included and being considered foreign film, blah, blah, blah. You know that I care about like this stuff about representation, and I would, it's like an emotional thing more than a, you know, an academic version of if it's the better, if it's the best. Um, but I would say Minari, I think. What about you?
1: I think is a great answer. I, I'm i going to go with Borat subsequent movie film because it seems actually within the realm of possibility now. And I've said on this podcast that it's one of the few things that I think captured last year really well kind of as it was happening rather than like a, a locked down or Malcolm and Marie sort of thing where it's just like mm. this, this, oh my God, we made a movie during COVID and it's kind of very covid No, like this is, a movie that's not about COVID that just incidentally became about COVID because of how they were making it. And I love it. And I am such a fan of weird things, winning best picture, like really great. That parasite won last year, a not just a South Korean film, but a thriller film won best picture. That's great. If David Fincher had made a thriller film this year, instead of a, a weird masturbatory film by his father, I would probably be saying that I want his thriller film to win, but not this year. (laughs) Sorry, David. Keep taking shots. Did you see that with the globes? He was taking shots every time he lost. No, really? (laughs) Yeah. Just every time he he lost. They didn't win anything, right? (laughs) No. They didn't get anything.
0: I have a a more serious question for you. Great. On a scale of we're serving an afternoon and going to watch it to your favorite screen. Two, watching it on a plane, on your phone, while half drunk. What setting is the most likely where you'll watch the Tom and Jerry movie?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Very serious question. Very serious. You know, like... I think it's the extreme of the plain and inebriated thing where it's just like, I can't focus on anything. I'm just going to do this and just like try and pass out in like 15 minutes and take a nap in the air because it doesn't seem like it's good. Bad. It doesn't seem like, I mean, or it doesn't seem like it's interesting. Bad. It seems more like a Doolittle than a cats where it's just, just it just gets inane and, and strange. And I don't know, but I am also compelled by it. What a weird cast. Like, John... Or, sorry, Rob Delaney and Chloe Grace Moretz and... Uh, Colin, who else? Uh, Colin Jost? Was the name of the... Colin Jost, yeah. Colin Jost. Yeah. Colin Jost. That apparently his... he's...
0: I was watching an interview with him with Seth Meyers that he's a desk guy, like Seth Meyers. And that he had to do acting and find places to stand that apparently
1: he's terrible at it. Well, th- that's, that's the thing is... He's not in like movies where SNL people are. In. He's not in like Paul Feig movies or or anything. He's just this guy who does Weekend Update and is dating Star- Scarlett Johansson, married to Scarlett Johansson. Are they married?
0: They are either engaged or already married. Let's say Very important way to... Oh, are they married so. last
1: year? Okay. Good Yeah, term. Congratulations to them. But yeah, not not dying to see that one i am intrigued from like the roger rabbit of it all where it's like this 2d animation merged with like it's cool that it is actual 2d animation they didn't do the whole like scoob we got to make them three-dimensional thing or did you see the paramount plus rugrats renders oh my god they look awful they're making a 3d rugrats it looks evil that's what they could have done and they just made a nice like roger rabbit thing and it's like okay i respect that but Okay, long-winded answer to a very funny question. What what is your take on that? I mm,
0: Watch it in 10-minute increments in my phone as I cook across a week. So it's
1: more of a quibby than a I movie. Think,
0: yeah, exactly. It's a combination of quibbies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I liked Tommy and Jerry when I was young, but yeah, after seeing the trailer
1: I would love like a, I would love just a 2D characters running around in, in real New York causing havoc. And it's just like a wacky Rube goldsberg like Tom and Jerry movie instead of a plotty kids movie. But that's not Tom and Jerry.
0: That's not Tom and Jerry. What did you think I was going to ask?
1: I have no idea. Like the ethics of reopening a theme park or something. Like, I I don't know. That is going to be a very serious question based on how you framed it and how. I don't know, <laughs> shooting from the hip, my question was so cool.
0: You need to you need to stay on your toes with me.
1: I feel like we had a weird energy tonight. It's just <laughs> lots of we're going a bunch of different places. <laughs> it's been a. It's gonna be a long week. It's been a long week. Something, I don't know. Thank you all for bearing with us tonight. It's been fun. It's been good to like touch a bunch of different subjects and talk about streaming for a while. I, I think I've had my streaming fill for a bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I think it was also good because we, we have a couple of
0: also special episodes coming up where you know we always try to connect it with current events, but we have a couple already uh, prepared for like the next month, month and a half of programming, I think. yeah, It's pretty well mapped out, which uh, should be exciting. So it will be. So on that note... On that note we'll leave you we we'll leave you and thank you thank you everyone so much for listening.
1: Yeah. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast application slash platform. And follow us on Twitter at stuck in and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening. Have a great night. Bye.